Hey everybody, welcome to this week's The Real Estate Life with Kevin Riles. It's your boy, Kevin Riles. And this week we continue our series on quarantine tools. Uh, this week we're gonna talk about the tax law changes uh, in partnership with the Fort Bend Chamber of Commerce. You guys have been watching these uh, videos. I've gotten comments that you really enjoy the content. So here's another one. So this week, quarantine tools, tax law changes, changes as a part of the CARES Act. Hey DJ, hit that music please. Support for this program comes from the Digital Broadcasting Network. Presenting podcasts and web series from everyday people who have an extraordinary passion to make the world a better place. All right. For those of you out there, uh, we want to welcome you to our um, Tuesday and Thursday business and professional webinars. Um, throughout this pandemic, uh, we have had an opportunity to uh, bring really good content on behalf of the Fort Bend Chamber of Commerce, uh, the Business and Professional Division typically does monthly lunch and learns. Um, and so typically we would do once a month and topics, uh, you know, very much so like we're talking about today. But with the pandemic, uh, we have gone into uh, hyperdrive as trying to deliver content to you uh, that is appropriate for this time for our business owners in, uh, in the chamber and also just the Fort Bend community uh, in general. For those of you that are watching on Facebook Live, welcome uh, to this. If you have questions, uh, we ask that you put them in the comments section on Facebook Live. If you have questions uh, uh, and you're on our actual webinar, then feel free to uh, put those questions uh, in the Q&A uh, button at the very bottom, uh, or you can put them in the chat, uh, or you can actually raise your hand. I can call on you uh, when uh, the time is appropriate if your question is just a little bit more detailed than, uh, than for you to be able to type. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Kevin Riles. I am your business and professional division chair uh, for the Fort Bend Chamber of Commerce. I sit on the Fort Bend Chamber board. Uh, I am a small business owner as well. Uh, I run a commercial uh, real estate firm here in uh, Fort Bend with offices in Missouri City and Sugarland. Uh, so I'm representing you guys out there that are small businesses and I'm sure I'll have questions uh, today too. I was so thankful uh, that April 15th got uh, pushed back to July 15th. You have no idea. Uh, so uh, uh, for those of you that are out there like me that are always doing their books at the last second uh, and trying to get it to their CPA. So I'm, I'm glad to be on this call today for selfish reasons. Uh, but uh, we have two uh, experts uh, today uh, with Whitley Penn uh, that are joining us uh, to talk about the tax law changes that are, as a part of the CARES Act, um, the COVID Act uh, that was uh, passed by Congress. Uh, we have with us Kristen, and Kristen, hopefully I'm going to say your last name correctly. Kristen, is it Sayeg? Sayeg. Sayeg. I've missed yes. it. I apologize. Yeah, that's okay. Right. Uh, one for Kristen, zero for Kevin. I apologize. <laughs> All right. Well, Kristen is, is a certified public accountant and has been uh, with Whitley uh, Penn since 2011. Most of her practice has centered around working with entrepreneurs uh, closely held businesses and high net worth individuals focusing on estate planning, financial planning, income tax planning and professional accounting services. Uh, so she joins us uh, today. And then we have uh, our, our tech guy for the day, John Park. <laughs> <laughs> John um, has more than 25 years of, of tax advisory and financial services and public accounting ex experience focused on C corporations, S corporations, partnerships and high net worth individuals as well. Uh, he uh, primarily works with clients uh, in energy, healthcare, manufacturing, distribution and retail, not-for-profit, professional services, real, and real estate, and construction industries. Uh, so uh, we want to thank both of you for 
volunteering to do this. I want to thank the chamber folks for putting uh, this together. And so guys, uh, I will share my screen in uh, PowerPoint, but uh, we didn't talk about who would start. So I'll, I'll step back while I put up the PowerPoint and allow whoever is uh, going to start to get to get started. Sure. So as soon as that PowerPoint comes up, sure. Chris, Chris and I have been doing several of these. This is John. And what, um, what we've discovered, if you can go to that first slide, I don't know if you can get that, the show started. So, all right, so what we've really discovered is things are changing rapidly and there's constant guidance coming out constantly. So even perhaps by the time we hang up from this call and this, from this webinar, there could be new guidance. If you could go to the next slide for me. So this is just a little disclaimer. So, you know, don't take any of this as lock, stock and barrel tax advice. What I'd encourage you to do is if you hear something today, make sure that you go and consult with your tax advisor or we're gonna put a slide up at the end that has a CARES Act at whitleypen.com that if you email that, we can get back to you. But realize everything is moving so fast as it relates to the PPP funding, to the tax law changes that we don't want, we wanna make sure that no one takes something and says, oh, I've got this and they run with it and then it backfires and you're, you're like, well, I heard this on this webinar, what it, what we're trying to tell you is I've never seen things change so fast and some things even changed yesterday um, that we read about that could change some things. So I just want to make sure everybody's on, on thinking about that as we keep going. All right, next slide. We're, so, uh, go ahead, John. No, go ahead. Yeah, so today's agenda, I know y'all have had a few webinars on the PPP loan. We're just going to give a brief update on what we have seen as changes. We're not going to really go um, into a whole lot of detail of um, the nuances of that program. The SBA is issuing guidance probably every three to four days that answers more Q&A, gives clarification. Um, one thing we are going to talk about is things that we still don't know. Um, and so we'll, we'll touch on the PPP program and then most of the presentation will be um, about tax law updates and how that may or may not affect both for businesses and for individuals. So if you can go to the next slide. So on the Paycheck Protection Loan, if you just look, they, you know, we all know that more funding came out. So three, 310 more came, in fact, Prediction is by Friday that might already be gone. So if you haven't applied for the next PP loan tranche, the moment you end this, well, I don't want you to get off now, but the moment you we end this webinar, make sure you're submitting your application. Um, so we just want to point that out and recognize that what happened is it's 100% guaranteed by the federal government, but there's been a lot of different items that you've read. So if you go down towards the middle of that slide where it says two-year loan, with 1% interest, realize you can, if you read the legislation, that is not what's in the legislation. So that was what came out in some guidance after the fact. So realize guidance is gonna keep coming out and it even that what came out, some other guidance that came out about the PPP loan is what gets forgiven and then what might have to turn around in people who are gonna be audited and are they gonna be covered? May 7th, they've thrown out this date of May 7th now on the forgiveness side, and we'll go into that a little bit later. Um, 
Next slide. <laughs> so I pretty much covered that. So here's the other thing that did come out as a result. So if you don't have a great relationship with your banker, um, I would love to say that everybody has a great relationship with their banker. What's what we've really discovered in dealing with our clients is that not everybody does. Not everybody has this amazing relationship that they can call their commercial banker and say, Hey, I've got this problem. And so one of the, so what can you do? Because what I can tell you is that I have several clients at big banks and I never even heard from them. Well, if you go online, there's, and we, we might even be able to put up a link somewhere, but like Cabbage and some other of these QuickBooks has one, Intuit has one. Different companies now have just sprung up that will fund your loan. And I think it will become very important that you go look for one of these small companies if you sent your big bank an email and you've never heard from him. I was on a webinar yesterday that had, um, it was really interesting, it was the regional director of the SBA. And what he said is exactly contradictory to what we've all read. And what he said is, if I were you, I would submit multiple loans with multiple lenders. And the reason why he said that is if, for instance, well, I've, never mind. If I'm at bank, I don't want to throw a bank under the bus, but if I was at bank A and it was a big bank and they weren't responding to me and I went to three different credit unions, said so the SBA will approve one of those and kick all the rest out. They, they will already do that. And that was really interesting for me to hear that yesterday because we've been, we had been giving folks the guidance, well, I don't know, I'd hold off. You don't want to, you can't submit two or three of these. And he said, if you're not getting answers, Go get that second one. You don't get an answer on the second one. Go get that third one and mm -hmm. find that person who's going to respond to your application. So yeah, I had a client yesterday call. He had, he had gone to his local bank and um, was told they're no longer accepting any applications. And his question to me was, how are they dividing up the billions that are being allocated to this? Does you know Chase get X amount? Wells Fargo gets X amount. Maybe credit unions get X amount. And it's not being done like that. So how it's, you know, it's really who can get their application through a bank and to an SBA first, to the SBA first um, to, to be allocated these funds. So um, try to get your application submitted somewhere is the best advice we can give. And John, John because I, I want to, um, our article I read a couple days ago, in fact, I passed it on, indicated that um, quite a few women-owned and minority businesses have been kind of uh, not been able to get the loans uh, as readily as uh, larger businesses or non-women-owned and minority businesses. And that's not something that um, I think that uh, any business, just regardless of, of, of background, knew that um, the whole, when I log on to QuickBooks, you're right, um, I get a little pop-up that says, hey, you can apply uh, for the loan. So I think that's really good. I just want to kind of focus that uh, your advice as to, hey, make multiple uh, uh, multiple loan applications as smaller folks you got might get a little bit more attention. So I just, I wanted to say that you guys are not saying that, but for those of you that are watching uh, that have not been getting love from your bank for one reason or another, uh, I think that's important. Yeah, well, you know, and that's interesting. I wonder if that again goes back to who's got the relationship. It is. Yeah. There, there's no, 
there's a whole conversation that I had with uh, some other business owners that, you know, I've, I've been in business now for 21 years and probably in the last five is when I finally started having a quote unquote relationship with a commercial banker. Um, sure. uh, and, you know, I understand banking that, you know, hey, you're going to give love to folks that, you know, um, have money in the bank and, and things of that nature. But a lot of small business owners don't know that they need that relationship to start their relationship when they don't need it versus mm -hmm. when they uh, need it, because that's why it's called a relationship. So, um, you know, it, it, and how to start that relationship. In fact, I've had conversations with the chamber about maybe we need to put a webinar together with bankers to say, how do, how do we start relationships? Because a lot of times, you know, until maybe four or five years ago, I was calling the 1-800 number. Uh, mm -hmm. And now I have a guy in, in one bank and a young lady at another that I can actually call and say, hey, this is Kevin, and they know who I am. So, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I think that's important that there are other sources uh, for these for these loans. So I'm sorry, I just wanted to say that. Uh, well, no, yeah, I think great. you actually have highlighted something that um, is critical that I don't think anybody really had ever thought of that in, and hopefully we'll never need it again, right? But what it what, what it's highlighted is the importance of relationships and what most people have done is, oh, I go in, I sit down with the bank, but they've really never had a relationship. Right. It, and I know commercial bankers constantly reach out for relationships and people sometimes don't do that. And what I think this has highlighted is the importance of relationships and how to make sure you're in front of the right group of people. Um, because if you don't have that relationship, I think in this case, it hurts you. It, it mm -hmm. absolutely does. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Next slide. Okay, just real briefly, some of the details of the PPP, the short and sweet for how much you could get for it is it's two and a half times your average monthly payroll costs. There's tons of guidance from the SBA, uh, again, that continues to be edited on what defines that, but we've put in this slide and um, you're free to distribute this presentation afterwards too, so maybe you can refer back to it. Um, what they're defining as payroll costs and what is not included in that calculation. Again, use our slides, but the best guidance is gonna be from the SBA website because it could change. Next slide. How the loan can be used. You can use the PPP for payroll cost, um, rent, utilities, and any other interest um, on debt obligations that were, were uh, incurred before the covered period. So you're not gonna be able to use this loan to go and buy a new piece of equipment. Um, there's some other, like the eyelid loan um, from the SBA, other things that can be possibly used for uh, that type of uh, expense. But if you have payroll, mortgage, rent, or utilities, you can use the PPP for that. Next slide. And, and I think it's important to note that this is the biggest question right now, mm -hmm. right? Because it's talking about forgiveness. And so pay attention to what you can use the loan for, because that becomes very important. So I had a question um, that I know I've uh, gotten from a client. Um, you guys are the CPAs and we have to deliver information to you guys. How am I keeping track of what I'm spending it on? Or if not how, how should I keep track? Uh, um, uh, because if I do get audited, I need to be able to say, you know, this loan is on my balance sheet and this is what I used it for. Um, I'm not a CPA, I just play one on, on webinars. but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so what would be y'all's advice as to how do I keep track of what I'm using it on and, and where to keep that? Well, it's, it's actually really, that's a, I mean, it's an amazing question. And I do think that while I don't think you necessarily have to quote unquote track it to the penny, 
at the end of the day, I borrowed $10,000. I have $10,000 that I spent. What did I spend $10,000 on that I could say belong to this loan? Gotcha. There are certain, right? Because there, and here's the, the interesting part about this is some banks said, well, we're going to create a special account for you. And they put the money in its own bank account. Other banks just dumped it into your operating account that you always have a bunch of things, a bunch of expenses and transactions already being, being used coming out of that account and going into that account. So it'd be very hard to track. I think it's going to come down to, okay, I got $10,000. Here's my payroll cost for the quarter or for those eight, that eight week period. Here's the rent I'm allowed to use it for. Here's the utilities I was allowed to use it for. And the utilities, the utility cost does include phones like your telephone expense mm -hmm. that was in the legislation. So it's going to be able to put together your Excel spreadsheet and documentation of here's my proceeds and here's my expenses, but it's not going to be as, okay, you've got to have your own account. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. And then I think the other side is our thought process is, and this goes into the tax side is this is going to fall into like life insurance. That while you've got it on your balance sheet, there's going to be a component where a piece is forgiven and then how does that account for? And that's going to be something between you and your CPA when some final guidance comes out and how that works to go into how to account to get the liability off your balance sheet so that the forgiveness is not income because you don't have to pay tax on that income, then it's another income line. But again, that we should be getting some further guidance on exactly how they expect that to show up for you. John, you want to talk about the free section? Um, sure. So, I mean, I covered part of this, like free money. Um, the like that slide, free money is always good. Free money. <laughs> well, so remember, like we, as you just brought up the forgiveness and how to track it, right? It's the payroll cost based upon the definition, and and that becomes really important, by the way, because you may, depending on your company and when, you, because the way that eight week period runs, and this is what's and I probably should have said this at the very beginning, realize what we're talking about is not tax, but yet people are looking at the CPAs to help them and guide them in this process. This is all SBA driven, which has nothing to do with tax. Um, but that eight week period of forgiveness starts the day you get your money. Well, if you only pay yourself once a month, you get your money on the wrong day and you've got a 30, 31 day month, you have to make sure that eight week period, you've done your two payrolls. So you may be doing a payroll early to make sure you get your payroll forgiveness in there. So pay attention to that because my concern is people will get the deposit. It's going to be in an off period. And then all of a sudden they're going to go for the forgiveness and they will not spend the right amount of money on their payroll. Um, we talked about the mortgage interest, the rent, but you can't have a rent that's dated February 16th. It has to be February 15th, 20, like in before. And um, there's been a lot of conversation on whether CAM fees count. And what I think some of the banks, are they going to require you to turn in your rent agreement, you know, your lease agreements? And what, what I've said is if your CAM fees are probably bundled inside your monthly rent, it probably is going to just fly through just fine. But if you pay an annual CAM fee that you get invoiced at the end of the year, you're probably not going to get to use those. And then obviously your utilities, your electric bill, your water bills, depending on what type of building you have. Yeah. And I see a question from someone saying utilities are a little vague. What about things like alarm systems? monthly build cell phones etc i've just um controlled f every guidance that i've saved on my desktop that has come out and there's no further definition of utilities that i can find 
beyond that word. So well, there's, there's one that says telephone expense, but it doesn't say which kind of telephone. Yeah. So, so. but again, so realize who the gatekeepers will be. The gatekeepers are not going to be us. At the end of the day, the gatekeepers are going to be the banks. And so mm-hmm. what my concern is, is what, even with the forgiveness section, that if the forgiveness is anything like the loan process, I had very few banks that did the same exact thing. Right. And so again, it's going to go down to the relationship with the bank. Right. I have a question uh, that was on Facebook live um, uh, and it relates to the loan, not the tax. Should small businesses that are like in concept and or service seek a limited partnership to increase potential of loan application approval? Right, repeat that question. Basically, should they form limited partnerships to increase their um, possibility of loan approval is the question. Small businesses. Not for this. Yeah, and because it, it would disqualify them from uh, the previous period point, I would assume. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have been in business previous to the date, the, the date right. requirements. Right. And I don't think type of business, besides at the beginning when they um, kind of phased in the type of business that could apply at an earlier date and then several days later, the type other types of businesses, sole proprietors and stuff could apply. John, I don't think at this time type of business is being considered for these applications. No. Yeah. No. Doesn't matter what type. Yeah. Um, why don't we next, go ahead? Go to the next slide real yeah. quick. So this is, and all I want to really say is keep track of this. And I mentioned the May 7th date. And this isn't going to change, but what, what has to happen here, because this is going to be the same that everybody else has heard, except for one thing, they've come in, they said, if you had a massive cash reserve, and they're really going after like hedge funds, the publicly held companies, the large corporations that really probably could have sustained this without having to go get their loans. And you've seen like the Shake Shack and you've seen the Lakers were in the Lakers, news, yeah. right? And so at the end of the day, what they're really saying is you're you can be audited for this. And if you were found to have been not in compliance because you could have maintained your company without a problem with, with enough reserves to carry you for the year, then you're good. The, there's in the FAQs, it says if you got the money and you shouldn't have received the money, return it by May 7th. Well, then there's if you there's different questions in the FAQs, but it goes back to is if you answered everything and you got the money before this date and any other guidance came out, then you're safe. So you just have to be able to document your need that you couldn't predict, you know, that you didn't have the right working capital and all those things to keep the money. And I think we will, my personal opinion is we will see folks giving back money, getting nervous that, uh, you know what, I had $10 million in the bank, my payroll's a million bucks. I could have run this company just fine. I was just trying to get free money. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and then what they've said is the money that's the gentleman yesterday said money that's being returned, which is interesting how, I don't know exactly how this is going to work, but the money that's being returned will then become part of the money that's going to go out in this second tranche. So the total won't change between the two tranches, but the second tranche could also end up, giving more than 310 could give 300 and 400 billion because several billion were, was refunded. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next slide. So let's talk about a few things we don't know at this time. Um, one of the things about the forgiveness is that during the eight week period, it 
the, the SBA guidance says that costs have to be incurred and payments made. Well, what if you had payroll for the two weeks before your eight-week period starts, and then the first day of the eight-week period, you pay that payroll? Can that be part of the forgiveness? Because if both of these factors have to be considered, incurred and payments made, payroll incurred before the eight-week period would not have been incurred during the eight-week period. Um, so we really need more guidance on, on that particular section. If you take it literal, cost incurred and payments made, um, then there may be some issues on, on the forgiveness calculation. Um, secondly, can we deduct tax return payments made with forgivable funds? What that says is if you have $50,000 in payroll and you use forgivable funds to pay those 50, that $50,000, when it comes time to file your tax return next April or March, are you going to be able to deduct the $50,000 in salary? Or have you already all of a sudden increased your net income by $50,000 because you paid for those costs with, with free money? Uh, we don't have guidance on that yet. Um, can a self-employed person use forgivable funds for interest, rent, and utilities? The guidance that the SBA put out, they put out a specific one for Schedule C sole proprietors. Um, and what it says the forgivable funds can be used for is 850 seconds of line 31 on Schedule C, which is the baseline net income for a Schedule C person. And basically, a Schedule C person doesn't write themselves a paycheck, so they're not issuing payroll like all the other types of businesses are. So they gave us guidance that you can account for 850 seconds, eight of the 52 weeks of the year, as part of the forgivable, um, forgivable uh, types of funds. But in defining that side of it, they did not say that you could pay for interest, rent, and utilities. So again, if we take the literal guidance that has come out, they're only saying sole proprietors can pay themselves 850 seconds of their bottom line and does not specifically say they can use the funds for interest rent and utilities. Um, Chris, I, and, and this pertains to me, but I'm, I'm assuming it, it might be answered uh, later. Sure. So I, I'm an S-Corp uh, mm -hmm. and I pay myself a salary. So I get a W-2 for my S-Corp. But right. typically, because real estate, commercial real estate is a low overhead business, I also have a profit that comes mm -hmm. over on a K-1. So mm -hmm. when I'm calculating my, my uh, income kind of to this point, right. I'm just using W-2 income. I'm not using my profit that rolls over, correct? That's correct. Yeah, right. just your W-2 income. Um, okay, the next one, federal income tax withheld and payroll taxes. Here we have conflicting information because the CARES Act says to exclude federal income tax withheld and payroll taxes from all the calculations of how much loan you can receive and what's being forgiven, while the SBA has issued guidance that you can include them. So what the CARES Act says and what was passed by Congress is different than what the SBA is saying. So we need a little bit more guidance there. Um, they've not said anything about self-rental self payments being forgivable. Um, it, I think the, the point there is that um, rent is rent right now. They haven't said that their self-rental is not forgivable, uh, but it does seem a little contradictory. It, it doesn't feel right that you could have forgiveness of payments made for self-rental. So we need some more 
guidance on that one. Um, clear guidance on the calculation of reduction for forgiveness amount if a business cuts employees. There's several great articles out there that go through the timelines and um, how to do that calculation. And it just is not very clear yet um, for, you know, if a client were to call us and say, okay, if I started with X amount of employees and I cut X amount and gave us a few more factors, we don't know yet if that's going to be forgiven. Um, application guidance for a new business or a change in business structure. So like for you, if you were, a, let's say you were a sole proprietor in 2018 and then in, or let's say 2019 and in 2020, you've now changed to be an S corp. We don't know how they're going to look at that. Where in 2019, you didn't have wages. In 2020, you now do have wages. We don't have guidance on if you changed your business structure um, or if you started a new business. Um, that, that's not clearly defined yet. Uh, one of the questions you already asked, how to properly document the use of PPP funds. There have not, there's not been guidance on that yet. John's talked about it, but the thing I keep telling clients is just be very clear about where and what you're spending the money on. Don't borrow from the PPPs hoping in eight weeks to, you know, use the money correctly into a category that it should be. Um, and then if you're um, receiving HHS funding from the Department of Health and Health, uh, Human Services, we also have not received clear guidance on how to account for that. So there obviously is still a lot of unknowns and this was more comfortable before people got the money, but now a lot of our clients have the funding and are still needing these, these clarifications. Right, so if you had HHS, Let's say if, you, if you're a healthcare practitioner and you got the HHS money, they say you have 30 days to return it. But what if you end up only needing 75%, but you figure that out on the 45th day, right? And so if you deal with Medicare and Medicaid, and I unfortunately have had a client who was kind of, they had flat jackets and went in and took everything. So, you know, whenever someone deals in the Medicare and the Medicaid and government payer fraud, we just don't know what they're going to do. Even if you try to disclose later, hey, we've realized you gave me 10 million, I only needed 7.5. Here's what it looks like. And for those of you that are just joining us, again, if you want to ask questions, you have a couple of ways you can uh, put them in the chat uh, for us. You can uh, put the um, Q&A at the button at the bottom. If your question is a little bit more involved, uh, it needs to be verbal. Uh, you can raise your hand with the raise hand feature at the bottom. And for those of you that are watching, on Facebook Live, feel free to uh, type in questions and we'll get those answered uh, as well. Okay, so now we're gonna move into some of the tax law changes. We'll, um, we've got several to go through here, if you can go to the next slide. One of the big ones was already mentioned, the due date changed from um, April 15th through July 15th. Um, that included most everything. There's still some things that are due during that window. Um, so it would be good to, you know, check with your CPA or probably do a quick Google to make sure your particular form that you're thinking has been extended has actually been extended. Uh, but for most people, corporate returns and individual income tax returns are now due July 15th, along with your extension payment. Um, your Q1 ES payment and your second quarter estimated tax payment. Um, and also the Texas controller has also um, extended franchise tax returns to July 15th. So gave everybody a little bit of a breather room. Um, 
there um, speaking for the CPAs. If you have your stuff, though, we'd love to work on it. So um, I'm sure none of us are looking for another busy season in the summer. Um, so, you know, but it does give people some time um, to, to keep your cash, if nothing else. If you do owe, you don't have to send it to the IRS until July. Um, and it's completely fine to file your return now and wait to send that payment later on. That They don't care. Mm. But, but also don't confuse this with underpayments. So if you are required to have money paid in by January 15th to safe harbor yourself based upon your 2018 tax return, this doesn't forgive the underpayment penalty because you didn't pay the right estimated taxes in. It only protects you from taxes you, the additional taxes you owe. Yeah, so what John's talking about is the IRS requires you to pay in either 110% of your prior year tax or 90% of your current year tax by January 15th of every year. So if you haven't met those thresholds, even if you don't file and pay until July, you're going to be short on, that's called a 2210 penalty because it goes on form 2210. So you're going to be penalized for that interest having not been paid in. Um, but that was due January 15th, not, right. not April 15th. So, and, and just to make sure everybody understands that law, since you threw it out there, Kristen, it's, if you make over, if your adjusted gross income is over 150,000, it's 110%. If it's under 150, it's 100% of the prior year in it, or 90% of what you have. Yeah. Okay. So using retirement funds, you know, this is one of those things that I think the IRS gave us that. You know, they've allowed us, most of the time people look at their retirement funds, and I'm gonna, I've seen several clients do this, so all of a sudden they need money and they go and they cash in an IRA or they pull money from a 401k plan that they rolled over. And you always get a 10% penalty. What the IRS has done is they've said, okay, no 10% penalty during 2020. And not only that, if you're in a, you can take out $100,000 and you have no penalty and you have three years by which to pay it back. There's a couple of logistical items here in terms of, okay, if you go to pay it back, do you have to go back and amend? Like if I take money out now, but I don't pay it back till 2022 or 2021, do I have to amend 2020's tax return? I, I, we don't know what's gonna happen. They haven't given us guidance there. But the, the nice part is there's no penalty. You have a three-year window to pay it back. So you're borrowing from yourself. Understanding is right now there's no interest um, in an IRA account. So and then if you're in a qualified plan, like you're still working someplace and you have a 401k plan, you can borrow from the employer-sponsored plan. Again, 100,000, it's always been 50. But recognize several employers, when the economy is really good, people put in 401k plans and they have in their plan that they're not gonna allow for loans. And so if there's no loans allowed, your employer has to first agree to add that provision and get the plan amended to include that. The other benefit here is if you're in a position where you have, whether you're in this position or you have parents that don't need their money, but they're required to take an RMD, the requirement of distribution out of their IRA, they've suspended that for 2020. And so let's say you, your financial advisor just called you and said, hey, I'm sending you your RMD this year as we've done every other year. You have 60 days to return that RMD so you don't have to pick it up as income tax during this year. So again, another nice way to possibly save money on tax if you don't need the cash from an RMD, but another nice way to possibly get an interest-free loan if you're looking at getting your business, trying to take money out that you can take out of your retirement plan and spread it over that three-year period. Mm -hmm. um, the next several slides 
that we are just some more details that we're not going to really go into that just kind of talk about the much more detail on the loan provisions if you would like them. Um, so if you click down to where the top slide says define benefit plans. I think it's slide 18. 18. So also, so they also said if you have defined benefit plans, you can push those out. Defined benefits, several, of the, I just had a client who's trying to figure out how to fund theirs so you can push out the funding. And so they've loosened that structure up. So if you have a DB plan, make sure you're consulting with your financial advisor on that as well. And next slide. Charitable contributions. This sounds great in theory. It's a great soundbite. So what they did is if you think about with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, what they did is they came in and they said, okay, we are going to give you this large standard deduction. So a lot of people didn't have any philanthropy or let me rephrase this. They didn't give philanthropically because they didn't get the tax deduction anymore. So what they did is they now just said, okay, we're going to let you have $300 above the line. This is kind of to me like the $250 for teachers that most teachers spend more than $250. And this is in place for 2020 and beyond that you can now give $300 and deduct it from your taxes. Um, if you do itemize, what they've done is they've list, lifted that you can give away basically 100%, 60% of your AGI up to 100% of AGI for 2020. So if you're really philanthropic and want to give away all your money, then you can go do that. And then any excess can be carried away for the next five years. I have very few clients that ever give away that much money that we're ever running into that threshold. And then they change if you're a C Corp, it's always been limited to 10% of your adjusted taxable income and they raise that to now it's 25%. So if you're a C-Corp, you can give away more money for it to count. All right, next slide, Kristen. Yep. Uh, another thing they added with the CARES Act, uh, previously an employer could contribute up to $5,250 um, towards an employee's qualified educational expenses tax-free. So um, they could pay for tuition basically um, tax-free to the employee. What the CARES Act said is that an employer can still do that, but they've added student loan obligations as part of what that $5,250 can be used for. Um, that is for 2020 only. Um, it'll revert back to only qualified education expenses after that. And to the extent the employer pays for the employee student loan, you're, the employee can't deduct the interest um, on their individual return. So just another way, possibly if employers are in a good position with cash flow, not seeing a whole lot of that, but another way to give some money to your employees on a tax-free basis um, if you're in a position to do so. Next slide. Um, this one, the, the next few slides, we'll talk a lot about um, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and kind of how the CARES Act either fixed it or changed it. Um, and this, this is something that the CARES Act fixed for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. What the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act missed is that they created a new type of property called Qualified Improvement Property, um, which are improvements made to non-residential buildings um, any time after the building was placed in service. And they, they meant to give it a 15-year life, which would allow 100% bonus depreciation with Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but they didn't write the law correctly and, and failed to include qualified improvement property in that new 15-year category and 100% bonus. So the CARES Act fixed that. 
um, it's a retroactive change back to January 1st, 2018. So if you had qualified improvement property on your 2018 return, you can now fix that. Um, and the treasury is coming out with um, streamlined processes to do that. It may not mean going back to 2018 and amending your return, but um, you know, your CPA will be knowledgeable about that. And just make sure it's, it's a good thing to bring up. If you've got any 39 year property on your depreciation schedule and it was after Jan 1 of 2018, you may be able to reduce that to 15 year and take 100% bonus depreciation on it. Net, net operating losses. This is a great, um, you know, again, before the CARES Act, what the Tax Cuts and Job Act did is it basically took away net operating loss carryback. And they said we can carry it forward indefinitely. And they also changed how much income it could offset. It could only offset up to 80% or a maximum of 80% of your taxable income. After the CARES Act, we now can take losses from 18, 19, and 2020 and they can be carried back for up to five years. So, so that, that's, a great, um, that's a great cash infusion to your business. Let's talk about how that works. What the IRS also has done is there's been several guidances that they've several, they put out some guidance on this that they've created fax numbers that you can now fax these forms in so you can get your money faster because normally you have to do this by paper. And when you do it by paper, that means someone has to touch it at the revenue service. What they've done is, just so everybody knows, if you've got a 1040X or something you've sent in by paper, it is sitting on a shelf. There is nobody processing it. And realize that while the IRS doesn't like us to receive faxes electronically through an electronic fax and email systems, they have been on electronic faxes for a long time. And so this way they're not touching paper and it's not going by mail. And so that's a great cash infusion. In fact, we've had several clients that we've been looking at doing this. They've also streamlined it to where you don't have to go back and amend an 18 return that you can just process part of this on your 19 return. So that's another nice aspect that they've done. Any losses, and after the cares, any losses carried to 19 and 20 will be permitted to also offset 100% of the taxable income. So there'll be no limitations of the 80, which was the CARES Act, and before that it used to be 90. So next slide. So they've also, if you're on your personal tax return, I call this the sleeper of the tax, the tax cuts and jobs act, that you couldn't deduct a business loss if you had over $250,000 of a loss, if you're single and half a million, if you're married filing joint. And what they did is anything carried forward, they halted this, which means now you can go do that. And again, you can go amend your 2018 return or your 19, in, or your 19 return. If you haven't amended your 18, again, there's no electronic submission of an amended tax return. There's a special form called the 1045, and we're looking at just filing that for clients as part of their 19 return. If you were a fast filer and you did your 19 return, then the answer is you're going to need to amend both your 19 and your 18 return to get that money back. Realize this provision does kick back in for 2021, so this is just a one-year halt that allows you to hopefully raise some cash or save some cash going forward if you have those losses. We've used this. I mean, I had a client that I just reviewed the other day that they're getting six figures back as a result of not being limited by the excess business loss limitation. Yeah. Next, Next slide. slide. So another thing that the um, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act added was this interest limitation rule. 
And basically what it says is that if you have interest expense in excess of 30% of your adjusted gross income, you're not going to be able to deduct it. Um, a lot of people thought that this rule with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act didn't apply to them uh, because it applies to businesses with average annual gross receipts of 25 million or more. A lot of small businesses don't fall into that category. Uh, but secondly, it applies to tax shelters. And a tax shelter is defined as any partnership or other entity other than a corporation if more than 35% of the losses are allocable to limited partners. And that applies to a lot of small businesses. There's a lot of people who have gotten, who have passive limited partners in their partnerships. The partnership has losses. If more than 35% of those losses go to passive um, partners, you're going to be subject to this 30% limitation. What the CARES Act does is it increases the limit from 30% to 50%. And they're going to allow us in 2020 next year to use your 2019 income as part of this calculation instead of 2020. They're assuming 2020 income is going to be less. So let us use the 2019 income and take 50% of that as the limitation cap rather than the, the lower um, amount of income in 2020. If you're a partnership, you don't get this for 2019. The CARES Act passed, um, went into effect after most partnerships returns were due March 15th. So they're saying you don't get the 50% in 2019, but in 2020, whatever of your suspended interest you have rolling into 2020, you'll get 50% of that deductible next year. And then the rest will be carried forward um, until, until you have taxable income to offset it. So. Um, a big deal. I mean, if you if you have loans and you're paying interest on it, and that's a significant portion of your expenses, you have probably been hindered by the original limitation and now get a little relief with the CARES Act update to this. Uh, next slide. Um, so one thing to remember during all of this is that the IRS is at home too. Um, they're not taking any live phone calls from us. They're not processing any paper returns. I've got a stack of amended uh, 1040 returns for various reasons sitting on my desk because we can't get them to the IRS. Um, and the backlog of processing on the IRS's part is going to be unpredictable. Um, I'm not even, I haven't really seen a plan for them to even get back to office themselves at this time, um, even as some of us locally are starting to think about how to get back to operation. So um, your CPA can't call the IRS and answer a question. And the biggest problem with this is it appears that the computer generated notices and, and processes that um, are, you know, pushed through the computer if you have tax notices or if you're in a situation where you owe tax and they're talking about levying, um, you know, your accounts and stuff, all the computer generated stuff seems to be on go. Nobody shut the computers off, but there's no way for us to contact the IRS and provide an explanation, ask for more time, put the account on hold, all these other things that we normally can contact them and talk to them about. We have no way to do that. Um, so it's, it's really put um, the taxpayers and then the professionals who try to assist the taxpayers in a, in a tough spot because we don't know how to stop the computers from sending out those notices and, and appearing to be going to the next level if notices aren't responding to uh, when we can't talk to the IRS. Well, and with that, realize if we mail them a letter, all we've done is said you responded timely, but realize no one's opening it. So we don't know 
when they're finally going to open that mail. So right. it's really, I mean, talk about, you know, there's very few times in your life where you feel helpless. Um, what I can tell you is this is one of those times where when a client calls and says, Hey, can you do something for me? The answer is probably not, but let's see what happens in a few days um, or in a few months or in a month. Like my guess is, as people start going back to work, the IRS too will also go back to work. Mm -hmm. Oh, just, just, a, I have a person um, who works for um, the acronym. Um, I'm trying to say it like secretive, but uh, that you guys just referenced and they're actually offering their employees um, incentive, financial incentives to come back now if they can or if they want to. And most of them are saying uh, no. Um, <laughs> well, safe, so, yeah. it's, it's actually, it's a, that is a fascinating um, comment because on the news last night, you know, I try and watch as little news as possible. Right. And so the, um, but on the news, I always just watch 30 minutes of news a day. And on the news last night, and I don't remember, and it's okay that I don't remember what the meat factory, I believe it was in Ohio or wherever Tyson. it was. Yeah. I'm sorry. Tyson. Mm -hmm. No, no, it was a different one. Oh, the, um, that was low. The they, they were offering, um, Smithfield, I think it was, they were offering financial incentives to come to work. And so people did not want to pass up the money and what they were interviewed someone on the news. And it said, basically people came to work sick because the money was so good. Good, yeah. And yeah. so I don't, and it may, it may have not have been Smithfield. I believe it was, but so I think at the end of the day, that's part of the problem with offering those financial incentives. Even if we wanted folks to come to our office, right? right. Offering financial incentives say, Hey, we want you in the office is probably the wrong methodology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. is um, bad behavior, <laughs> not good behavior. Yeah. So lastly, here's our disclaimer slide. Same thing as the first slide. Go to the next slide. Here's where we've, we encourage all of you, you know, if you are a client of Whitley Penn, please contact your Whitley Penn professional. If you're not and you have a, a brief question, there's the email address to send it to you. And then what I would encourage you to do is, you know, within 24 hours of changes, we're having them posted online. So if you go to our website on our homepage, which is whitleypen.com, and up in the upper right-hand corner, you can sign up and you can get the new alerts. And we have a special COVID section. And we have, not to self-promote, but we've had several clients that have several different relationships and several professional um, relationships say we're pretty on top of it we're pretty quick on our on what we're doing in fact i've seen several other webinars that have come out after ours when we've done them so and with that we're done unless there's, yeah. there's i was any looking questions. on facebook live sorry i was looking on facebook live to see if we had any questions um you guys are like so cpa because y'all finished right at 12 <laughs> like that is exacto knife presentation skills right there and that's even with my technology issue. Exactly, exactly. I mean, like, why? <laughs> so, guys, uh, if you guys have any questions you saw, and I will share it just one more time uh, to John's comment uh, here. Let's go to the last slide. You guys have any questions uh, that are more specific or uh, just some clarification that we couldn't cover? Uh, these are the ways you can get in touch with uh, uh, with Whitley uh, Penn. 
Uh, and guys, if, if you don't mind, we've asked every, every um, person that has uh, from a company uh, to provide any uh, contact information that they feel comfortable providing if people want to get in touch with you. So uh, I guess, Kristen, what would be the best way to, to, to reach out to you if they were interested in, in, uh, in more specific information and or, uh, you know, uh, services? Yeah, yeah. So the CARES Act at WhitleyPenn.com web email address up there, that's going to be in John's inboxes. Okay, gotcha. So um, that that would be the best way to reach out to either of us um, to for, you know, clarification questions, future services, anything like that, you can send it there. Gotcha. gotcha. And, we're, and we're online too. Our emails are pretty That's right. Like, okay. gotcha. like it's at WhitleyPenn.com and it's first name dot last name. So. Right. Got gotcha, you. Got gotcha. you. Yeah. So um, this has been uh, uh, helpful, uh, not only to myself, but I'm sure to uh, those uh, that are out there um, as well. I just got a comment from uh, someone saying thank you for the information and the clarification. Um, so, guys, um, I'm going to allow Miss Juliet uh, to do her normal uh, prom uh, promotion of uh, of what we have coming up uh, uh, going forward. So Juliet, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. And thank you so much, Kristen and John. That was a wealth of information and we really appreciate you taking the time to share this to everyone who joined us today. Next Tuesday, May 5th, we are hosting Mayor uh, Joe Zimmerman, City of Sugarland, to give an update. And on Thursday, we'll be hosting City of Richmond's Mayor, Evelyn Moore, to provide an update and just how they're all dealing with the current pandemic in their respective cities. So please join us again. We're um, hosting these every Tuesday and Thursday from 12 to one to provide relevant information to our uh, business community. Thank y'all so much. Thank you, Juliet. So I um, wanna thank uh, Carrie, Juliet, Ryan, Paige, Stacy at the Fort Bend Chamber for putting these uh, seminars together. Uh, they put these seminars together and then this old commercial real estate broker comes on and makes it look like I know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> you know, make, a, make, a, make, a, make a commercial real estate broker look good. But um, uh, John, Kristen, it's nice to meet you guys and thank you so much for the information. Uh, I know it helped somebody, it helped me as well. Uh, and uh, to Kristen's point, uh, I will go ahead and get my stuff together. Uh, <laughs> it's July 14th. Uh, yes, to, uh, please. <laughs> please, Dave. That's the biggest takeaway for me is like, you know, come on, bro, just just get your stuff together. Uh, yes. So, uh, so, um, so, yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, and we look forward to uh, possibly doing this in person at some point in time as well. Sure. Yeah. Thank sure. you so much for having us. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Hey, thanks for listening as always. Do you have questions about any of the topics I'm talking about? If you have questions, let me know. Email me at Kevin at KevinRiles.com. Again, that's Kevin at KevinRiles.com. I'm going to do a podcast just on the questions uh, that you guys are sending to me. So feel free to send them to me. Again, that's Kevin at KevinRiles.com.